Good morning. Please do pray with me. Thank you so much, Father, for the privilege of gathering together to worship you this morning as a covenant family. Thank you for new beginnings and for this fall semester. Father, even as we sang earlier, your steadfast love endures forever. And as we're reminded in Psalm 118, you are on our side. We will not fear. You are our strength and our song. You are the stone that the builders rejected, and you've become the cornerstone. This is your doing, and it is marvelous. This is the day that you have made. Father, we rejoice, and we are glad in it. Lord, we bless you from this place, your house. You are our God, and we will continue to give thanks to you. Thank you, Father, for going before us and for never leaving or forsaking us. We do rest knowing that you hear our prayers. Father, we see your hand at work all around us, and we have so much to be thankful for. All good things do come from you, Lord. Thank you for the hands that made today possible, even in our local church. Thank you for the sweet hands that made the good food that we ate earlier. Thank you, Father, for the the uh, talented hands that built this new lectern. Father, we, mu- we do have much to ask. We have many needs. Father, we do pray that you would bless the people of Hawaii as, a, as they face great loss in the recent fires. Father, draw them to yourself and comfort them. Allow them to see your face. Father, do comfort Barbara Thompson and Stephanie Alonzo's mother, Karen Goodwin, as they recover from surgery. Father, strengthen and bless Catherine, Dave, and Baker Driscoll. Father, bless our covenant marriages, and especially bless the marriage conference upcoming this weekend. Father, thank you and continue to please bless Empower Ministries and our own Mara Ellen Bryan. Father, please be with Robbie this morning as he brings your word forward. Father, you inspired it. It is your word, and you bring it to us bring it to us. Pray that you would bless Robbie as he delivers it. Father, thank you for fellowship and community. And as we come together in this new fall semester, we pray that you would send your spirit to move, that we might honor you in worship this morning. Father, we're able to do this in Christ's name, who we do pray. Amen. Good morning. Anybody frazzled? Uh, The season, actual season of summer has not come to an end, but that season where we're out for school has come to an end. Uh, It's that first week of school uh, this week, and um, there's in some locations there's lots of cheering, in other locations a little bit of jeering and sorrow. I don't know which one uh, you are, but uh, it's, it's a week where a whole lot of change has happened. Over the last couple of weeks, Uh, Some people in this room have dropped off their oldest child uh, for college for the first time, and you have that feeling driving away that uh, nothing's ever going to be the same. There's some people in the room who dropped off the last week or two their youngest child, and uh, maybe one of you was uh, celebrating and one of you was grieving, or who knows how it played out uh, in your home. Uh, but you knew that an era had come to an end. Our nests fill up and then they empty. And we begin just thinking about time in really unique ways. Uh, if you had your first child this year, 
Uh, you bring that child home and nine months later, there's this sense in which I was carrying that child five minutes ago, but I had that child five years ago. All of a sudden, your sort of relationship to time begins to shift. And, and some of it's the, the sleepless nights, of course. Uh, but you just begin to realize that we don't have a complete grip on time. Uh, this past week, our daughter, Emma, uh, who is expecting her fourth child, she's married to a Marine, he's in flight school, she's raised, they're raising their three children. Uh, she sent us a picture because all three kids were sick up all night long. And at 2 a.m., Rowan, their youngest, who's not yet two, was on the couch with her siblings, smile as big as she, she could because she thought, I'm here with all my people, it must be a party. And she was just having a great time keeping everyone up all through the night. Those, those days come and go really fast. When you're in that stage of life, you feel like it's never going to end, but you look back and you're like, where did it go? Things change really rapidly. And sometimes what we really need is things that don't change. When I'm exhausted, what can I count on? Where is my true and deepest rest uh, I don't really like the way I feel today uh, for kickoff Sunday. Often uh, Sunday is the time of deep rest and rejuvenation. Um, if you feel that way, uh, keep it to yourself, please. Um, I, I hope you do. I'm glad you do. Uh, this summer for Christy and me, we had multiple health issues. Um, I had a big work project that I wanted to focus on really well. And uh, during the last six weeks, we didn't have a functional stove or oven in our home. Uh, we've purchased three already and canceled two of them. And who knows when, we're, uh, when the real one's going to show up in our home and be functional again. Uh, who knows? But it has just not been a time of restful rejuvenation. What about you? Whether you feel bodily rest or not, do you have a sense of deep soul rest? Do you have a sense of being anchored to that which is most important that makes the sense of your days and your time, your years? What anchors you? Over the next three weeks, we're gonna talk about our basic core uh, vision that we gather, we grow, and we go in Christ Jesus uh, into all things. And today I'm really gonna focus about, uh, about we gather in Christ Jesus. That's the focus of today's message. But I, what I wanna do um, is take you back into the biblical story because there's a deep need we have for rest. And many of us at different times feel a sense of dislocation um, from the way things were supposed to be. And I want to go back into the story, uh, the biblical story we were looking at over a year ago, because after these three weeks and after Labor Day, we're going to be in the book of Numbers. So I want to just go back and just remember with you uh, where we came from in the biblical story and why it is that we have a, a real need for rest and why it is that we have an odd relationship with time and why it is that we sometimes feel a deep sense of dislocation. A couple of years ago, we began looking uh, at the story of Genesis. And in the story of Genesis, there's the one good creator God who made all things. And he created us to live in his presence, to experience his presence on a daily basis. But we rebelled against God. And so we were kicked out of the garden. We were exiled, expelled from God's presence. And that's one reason why there's always a sense of dislocation uh, in our hearts and our lives. And so the story of Genesis unfolds. Uh, the first man and first woman, Adam and Eve, are kicked out of the garden. They're expelled from God's presence. And the rest of the biblical story, God begins showing up and saying, I'm going to heal this. 
God begins to ask questions and you can see that God has a gracious plan to bring his people back into a special place with him. That's God's plan throughout the rest of the biblical story to have a people dwelling in his presence. And so in the story of Genesis, God comes to two people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says, hey, I'm gonna bless you. I know that your lives are exhausting and chaotic and all these other gods don't work, but I'm gonna take you as my people. I'm gonna bless you. And not only that, I'm gonna bless all the families of the earth through you and your descendants. And then God says, I'm gonna t- I have a special place for you. I'm gonna take you to this land where you're, right now you're wandering, but I'm gonna give it to you. And in that place, I will meet with you. I'll be your God, you'll be my people, you'll live with my blessing and, and you'll be a conduit of my blessing. And in the book of Genesis, of course, God's people are in Egypt, which is not the land that God had promised them. And then you turn to the second book of Exodus and God's people are slaves in Egypt. It doesn't feel like it matches that plan at all. God's people aren't living in the land that God promised them. They're not living as receiving God's blessing and being conduits. No, they're a slaved people. They're in bondage in Egypt. And so the book of Exodus is about God redeeming his people and bringing his people to himself. And this is important. When God comes and in his love and faithfulness, rescues his people from Egypt. The book of Exodus tapes 40 chapters. All of that redemption story is told and celebrated in the first 15 chapters. So what in the world is the rest of the book of Exodus about? The next three chapters are about God's people traveling from Egypt through the wilderness to the great mountain, the mountain of Sinai. And this is where we get into today's topic about we gather in Christ Jesus. God brings his people to Mount Sinai and the whole rest of the book of Exodus, Exodus 19 all the way through chapter 40, and then the whole book of Leviticus written from Mount Sinai and the first few chapters of the book of Numbers, it all comes from Mount Sinai. God's people camp out at Mount Sinai for a very long time. So if you will with me, we're gonna read this passage from Leviticus eventually, I promise you. This is kind of like a 20 minute introduction with a seven minute sermon, if you can handle it. Okay, good. All right, turn with me back to page seven. Let me just help you remember what we heard from the book of Exodus. The first 15 chapters are the the redemption story. God comes and redeems the people from slavery and bondage. But the rest of the book, what's it about? Well, once God has his people at Sinai, I just want to read one verse from this first passage from Exodus 19. God has brought his people to Sinai. He's gathered them. And here's what verse four says. God told Moses from the mountain to say these words. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians I conquered them and redeemed you and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. That's our first point today. God gathered his redeemed people to himself. This is who God is. It's, it's the, an early picture of the whole story of the Bible, but this is what God is up to. God is up, into rede- God is up to redeeming people from slavery and bondage. And not just that we live in a freedom apart from him, but gathering those people to himself. And that's what that first passage is about. And that's the first point of our sermon. That's it. It's come and it's about to go. God gathered his redeemed people to himself. This is something really important I want you to understand about worship. Secondly, I want you to see in in chapter 25, verse 8, and also chapter 29, uh, here's the second point. God planned to dwell in the midst of his people. While God has his people at Mount Sinai, in chapter 25, verse 8, this is what God says. 
have them make a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Now, I just skipped a few things. What did I skip? When God got his people to Mount Sinai, do you remember what it looked like? They were trembling at the base of the mountain because the whole mountain was shaking. And at the top of the mountain, there was fire and smoke because the glory of God had descended to the top of Mount Sinai. God himself had come out from his heavenly throne room and he had made his presence to dwell at the top of the mountain and they could see it in the fire and the smoke and the trembling. And God had made it very clear, the people must stay at the base of the mountain. 70 elders can come halfway up and only Moses can come up and listen to my voice and see me and spend time with me. It was very strict. Why? Because God had chosen to be there and they could see his fearful and amazing glory on the top of the mountain. But now what's happening? That same God who's up there and says, don't come up here. That same God says, you live in tents. And he says it from the fiery mountain. He says to Moses, make them build a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Do you see what God does? The first point was that God gathered his redeemed people to himself. I bore up on eagle's wings and brought you to myself at Mount Sinai. Now the second point is God planned to dwell in the midst of his people. That same terrifying God of all that glory and power is going to come from not just heaven to the top of Mount Sinai, but from the top of Mount Sinai to the tent in the midst of his people. And that's what he says there in Exodus 29. It's there at the bottom of page seven. If you want to see it, what does he say? I will meet with you at the bottom of verse 42. I will meet with you to speak with you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel. Verse 45, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I'm Yahweh, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. For what purpose? That I may dwell among them. This is central to God's purpose for gathering us. God gathers a people to himself. We come to worship because God draws us to himself. Secondly, we come to worship because God chooses to dwell here with us. The whole story of the Bible is about God conquering the gap between his people and himself. And that's what's happening in the book of Exodus. But does anybody remember how the book of Exodus ends? At the end of the book of Exodus, they build the tabernacle exactly the way Yahweh said they should build it. And it says it again and again, and Moses completed the work, and Moses completed the work, and Moses completed the work. Moses did leading the people. They built the tabernacle exactly how Yahweh said they should build it. They built its parts. They built its furniture, all the things that went in it. And they also uh, dressed the priests the right way. And they had everything set up exactly how God said they should do it. And what happens at the end of the book of Exodus? It's there at the end of chapter 40. But what happens is God comes. He's he's come from heaven to Mount Sinai. Then he comes from Mount Sinai. He actually comes and fills the tabernacle with his glory presence, which is what he said he would do. But then what happens? Nobody can go in. Not even Moses can go in. So the book of Exodus ends with this big problem. Who can draw near to this holy God of glory? God has brought his people to himself. God has put himself in the midst of his people. But who? I mean, honestly, who can draw near and be close, live in a close relationship and fellowship Who can dwell in the presence of a holy God? And that's how Exodus ends. 
The cloud is there, the glory's there, the power's there, and nobody can go in. So now, if you will, turn to where our passage for the day is. And before I read the whole passage, I want to tell you about the first word, which comes into English in three words. It's on page 12. This is Leviticus 1. The people are gathered around the tabernacle. They've done everything that they're supposed to do. And God himself, pictured in a glory cloud, has now come in and filled that tabernacle and nobody can go in. But here's how the book of Leviticus begins. By Yichra. And he called. God is in the tabernacle. They can't come in. So from the inside of the tabernacle, God speaks to Moses and the people. He calls to them and he is going to solve the problem. Because God has brought the people to himself and God has come to dwell in the midst of his people. And God knows that a sinful people like Robbie Holt and the people that he's talking to right now can't dwell in the midst of a holy and glorious God. And so God will address the need. And that's what the book of Leviticus is about. So now I'm gonna read it. And we're getting close to the third point of this sermon. Here we go. Leviticus 1, 1 through 5 and the end of verse 9. Then Yahweh called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when a man from among you brings near a near bringing to Yahweh, you shall bring near your near bringing of animals from the herd of the flock. I know you expect brings or offers a sacrifice or brings an offering, but I'm just telling you exactly what those Hebrew words mean. When someone comes to Yahweh, he brings near an offering, a near bringing. That's what the word means. Verse three, if his near bringing, his offering is an ascension offering near bringing from the herd, he shall bring it near a male without blemish. He shall bring it near to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before Yahweh. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the ascension offering that it may be accepted for him to make atonement on his behalf. Then he shall slaughter the young bull before Yahweh and Aaron's sons, the priest, shall bring near the blood and sprinkle the blood against the altar all around that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall offer up in smoke all of it on the altar for an ascension offering, an offering by fire of a pleasing aroma to Yahweh. All flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Who can draw near to a holy God? Here's the most important, two most important things I want you to think about coming to worship, gathering in God's presence on worship Sunday by Sunday. I don't want you to think about going to a church meeting are coming in a building, I want you to think that when we come here, we're responding to God's call. God has invited us. God is gathering us in his very presence. That's number one. God has rescued you and saved you to call you to himself. Individually, sure. In your prayer life, of course. But also on the first day of the week, God gathers his people to himself. And that's the most important thing. And the second important thing is the absolute assurance you can have, the confidence you can have that you're accepted in God's presence because of all that Jesus Christ has done for you. It was all predicted here 
typified in this first chapter of the book of Leviticus and Jesus Christ fulfills it. And we'll see some of that uh, in our message today. Just for a minute, here's our third point. We gather in Christ Jesus, the priest and sacrifice that God has chosen for us. Look at how this passage anticipates the work that Jesus would do for you and me so that we could draw near to God with confidence in Jesus Christ. Yahweh called to Moses and said, tell, tell the sons this, when they come near to me, they're not going to come empty handed and they're not going to come in their own righteousness. They're not going to come with a record of their performance. They're not going to come with a list of their good deeds. No, we know what they're like. <laughs> they're going to come and when they draw near to me, when they're going to bring near something that allows them to bring near. And when they do that, it's going to be a pleasing aroma to God. That is fully acceptable to him. That's the first thing. Uh, the people that came near to Yahweh, they weren't trusting in themselves, but they were trusting in the perfection of the offering that they brought near. Do you see that? Um, there in verse three, if his near bringing is an ascension offering, an ascension near bringing from the herd, he shall bring it near. A male without blemish, he shall bring it near to the entrance or the doorway of the tent of meeting. Uh, don't you see how that anticipates the work that Jesus Christ would do for us? It's all hinted there in the passage, but think about it for me, with me. The gospel of John tells us that Jesus, the eternal word of God, became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. The whole point of his life was to be the meeting place between God and men. That's how John begins. Shortly after that, uh, we're introduced to Jesus's wild cousin who's out in the wilderness. And John the Baptist sees Jesus walking out to him in the wilderness. And John says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's who Jesus is. Jesus has come. He was incarnate. He was, he tabernacled among us. And what did he do? But he, he lived the perfect life that God requires of you and me. Don't you see the near bringing, the offering that they would bring? It was a male from the herd, a male without blemish, a lamb without flaw or fault, a whole lamb who had no imperfections. That's exactly who Jesus Christ was, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Think about how Jesus fulfilled that. He's the son of God in our humanity. And as a second Adam, he obeyed God's law in every way imaginable. He understood it. He loved it. He obeyed it. He taught it to others. He was perfectly righteous in every way. And he offered his life. He took our place. He is our substitute in the perfection of his life. And at the end of that life, and the end of all that perfection, what does Jesus do? But as a priest, he offers the perfect sacrifice in the place of sinners. It just happens to be himself. Having lived the obedient life that we failed to live, then Jesus offers himself on the cross as a sacrifice, shedding his blood so that our sins would be washed away. Uh, that's why 1 John uh, 1, 7 says this, the blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. The epistle of the Hebrews has got the whole book of Leviticus in mind all the way through. And at one point, this is what uh, that New Testament book says. 
Jesus Christ did not enter the holy places made with hands. What's he referring to there? But the tabernacle that humans built according to God's God's requirements. Or the temple, the building that humans built to reflect the heavenly realities. But Jesus Christ did not enter holy places made by human hands, mere copies of the true ones. But Jesus entered into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Don't miss that the very first offering in the book of Leviticus is an ascension offering. After Jesus Christ lived the perfect life that we failed to live and was crucified in the place of the wicked, on the third day he was raised again. Why? He was vindicated as the only one who'd ever obeyed perfectly. And having been raised again and vindicated in his righteousness, After 40 days, he would ascend to heaven at the Father's right hand, making intercession for you and me. Jesus has gone into the real temple, the real presence of God with his own blood so that if anyone believes in him, we're welcome in God's presence. We're welcome to God's presence anywhere, anytime. And especially so on the first day of the week when we gather together in his name. We gather in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the perfect high priest who offers himself as the final sacrifice. He's the perfect near bringing in whom we draw near. He drew near in his incarnation. He offered himself for us um, to take away our sin. He rose again with his indestructible life and he ascended into heaven with his own blood in our fresh flesh to open a way for us not to enter the tabernacle or the temple, but heaven itself. Just for a minute, I want you to uh, think about uh, your favorite trip you took this summer. Uh, Back in early May, Christy and I went to Yellowstone with our youngest daughter, Ellie, uh, and we flew, but I want you to use your imagination and imagine uh, that you, with your family, as is, whatever stage of life your family's in, um, you get in in a car and you're driving from here to Yellowstone because you really want to go and see the wolves as much as Christy Holt wants to see the wolves. And you want to see the bears and you want to see Old Faithful and whatever else you want to do out there in Yellowstone. So you get your family together and you're going to drive all the way to Yellowstone for your, this is is a couple weeks ago, your last trip of the summer. And you get in the car and basically from the very beginning, uh, as you're planning the trip and beginning driving, it's just a big argument about uh, are you going to go west and then north? Are you going to go north and then west? How are you going to traverse? How are you going to go from here to there? And everyone has their own opinion. Um, where are you going to stop and eat? Which cities you're going to stop in? Uh, when you stop in different places, who will stay in a hotel and take a hot shower and who's going to camp out? And basically it's just, it's just an argument all the way. And, and so you're trying to make all these decisions and you're thinking about who's going to do what and who gets their way and who gets their favorite this and their favorite that. And so you take off on the trip and you've got all these discussions about uh, how you're going to get to Yellowstone and you get in the, in the, in the car and you've driven 382 miles and all of a sudden the car stops. Well, why does the car stop? Well, no one thought about fueling the engine. That would be a disastrous trip. Where are you? Don't you understand that when we gather in God's presence, here's what God is doing. He's sharing his very life with us. When he, in, he invites us to draw near and receive life from him. God has life to give to us and he offers it to us when we draw near to him. I want you to go back to thinking about going to Yellowstone. Finally, you get to Yellowstone 
and you get out there and, you know, some of you got your way. And so you go and see the wolves, but you had to give it four in the morning. That wasn't very fun. Um, and then you saw some grizzly bears and some black bears and you saw Old Faithful and it was as boring as Robbie told you it was. But anyway, you did all kinds of fun things out in Yellowstone. It was really great. And imagining seeing all that beauty and all those creatures and all that goodness and having no concept that there's a creator, that there's someone who's made the creation, who's made this creature and there's no one to thank. And there's no glory and there's no beauty and there's no worship. You see, the great gift that we have, our God who made all things, who made us, who made every creature, who brought us into existence. Not only does he want to share his life with us, but he's worthy of our worship and our praise. And so the heart of we gather in Christ Jesus is this, our God by his grace and his glory, is literally inviting his people to draw near to him, to receive life from him, to give him the worship that he deserves. All through the worship of God's people, all through the book of Leviticus, we'll look at it a couple of times in the next couple of weeks, and through the book of Numbers, as we'll see in a few weeks, one of the things that God's people do when they gather in God's presence is they bring tithes into his house. And this is quite remarkable. They bring tithes in saying, my life belongs to you. All that I have belongs to you. Everything that I have is a gift from your hands. And this is what God's people often do when they bring the tithe into God's presence. They eat it. They eat it in God's presence. Why? Because you can't give to God. (laughs) God has everything that he needs, but he delights to have his people in his presence and he delights in fellowship with his people. Let's pray and meet him at his table. Father in heaven, how thankful we are that you have drawn us to yourself, that you've gathered us today to yourself. We're thankful that you choose to gather in our presence when we gather in your name. And we're thankful that we have bold and confident access to you in and through Jesus Christ. Now help us enjoy it and celebrate it at the King's table. Amen.